0: Hello, and welcome to the Gumbo Ed Nurse Practitioner CE Podcast. I am your host, Samantha Junius Arsema, and this is Episode 31. To earn your CEUs for this podcast, go to the American Association for Nurse Practitioners website or the Journal for Nurse Practitioners, find the article, take the test, and earn your CEUs. Today's article is from the Journal for Nurse Practitioners, Volume 17, Issue 5, 2021, pages 574 to 578. The title of this article is Identifying Veterans in Your Practice, What Clinicians Need to Know. The authors are Cynthia S. Selick, Trina M. McGinnis, John P. McGinnis, Glenda J. Stanley, and Rebecca S. Miltner. The article starts with the introduction. In 2019, the Department of Veterans Affairs, VA, reported that there were an estimated 19.2 million veterans in the United States, inclusive of all five branches of the military, the Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, and Coast Guard. The population of veterans has been declining over decades from a high of 28.6 million in 1980 to an expected 12.9 million in 2040. The decline is due to multiple factors, including elimination of the draft in 1973 and transition to all-volunteer military, overall shrinking of the active duty force among all branches, and large numbers of World War II and Korean War veterans dying in recent years. The decline is due to multiple factors including elimination of the draft in 1973 and transition to an all-voluntary military, overall shrinking of the active duty force among all branches, and large numbers of World War II and Korean War veterans dying in recent years. Women currently comprise 10% of the veteran population, and the percentage is expected to grow to 17% by 2040, corresponding to the growth of women in the active duty military. The largest cohort of veterans alive today served during the Vietnam era, approximately 6.4 million. Their median age is 71 years. The next largest cohort of veterans served during peacetime only, which is 4.3 million. Post-9-11 veterans, those who served in Iraq and Afghanistan, which is 3.7 million, are much younger with a median age of 37 years. Veterans have distinctive experiences in health risks associated with their specific era of service. Although they enter military service as one of the healthiest groups in America, veterans are disproportionately impacted by a range of conditions, including trauma, substance abuse, and mental health disorders. The current wars are unique in that many service personnel have undergone multiple deployments, The reserve components have been used as an operational force, comprising half of all deployed personnel, and medical advances have drastically reduced casualties, although increased the number of severely wounded veterans returning with lifelong disabilities. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, approximately one-quarter of all veterans have a service-connected disability. Yet, only 47% of veterans receive some or all of their health care services through the VA health care system. The result is that most veterans receive care in community-based clinics and practices by primary care providers who may never discover their military history and may not be familiar with the distinct experiences of the military. This places veterans at risk for serious health issues that may be undiagnosed, misdiagnosed, or inappropriately managed. This review provides clinicians with an introduction to military culture and information on the unique needs of reservists and National Guard members. Screening for military service and the importance of a military health history are addressed as are common mental and behavioral health issues of veterans seen in community-based primary care settings. Resources for additional learning are also provided. Let's move on to military culture. The military has a distinct culture which leaves an impact on people who serve. These are common organizational structures and values across all branches of the armed forces, but each also has unique characteristics. Officers must have a college degree and are commissioned through specific programs, such as one of the four military academies, reserve officer training corps, or ROTC programs on college campuses, or through Officer Candidate School. Commissioned officers provide management and leadership oversight in an area of responsibility. Warrant officers are highly trained specialists, generally in technical fields. Enlisted personnel perform the core work of each military service and can advance up the ranks to non-commissioned officer or petty officers, for example, Navy and Coast Guard who assume increasing responsibilities and supervision over subordinates. Service members undergo extensive training for their primary specialty, as well as ongoing leadership development and even graduate education as they advance in rank. Such focused development of members creates an organization that not only moves quickly and effectively to address the security needs of the country, but can also be flexible when unintended consequences occur. All service members are trained to work as a team and are ready to assume leadership roles in case of loss of assigned leaders. Common values across all services include selflessness, being of service to others and country, a combat-ready, can-do attitude, working to meet shared goals, and an understanding that the individual is secondary to the unit. There are terms and lingo that are unique within the military community, including the names of service members within different branches. For example, members of the Army are called soldiers and members of the Navy are called sailors. Officers and people of undetermined rank are formally addressed as ma'am and sir. They may speak of being downrange or outside the wire, meaning physically in a combat zone or respond to a clinician request with Wilco or roger that, meaning they will comply. This strong culture can influence the service member's values, beliefs, expectations, and behavior long after military service has ended, and can impact the relationship between veterans and their healthcare providers. Let's try some questions. Question number one. Most military veterans receive their healthcare through the VA healthcare system. A, true, B, false. The correct answer is false question number two which of the following is true about national guard and reserve component personnel a national guard and reservists have comprised half of all personnel deployed to iraq and afghanistan b national guard and reservists are eligible for the same medical services as active duty personnel c reservists can be called into service by state governors for civil unrest or d if you suspect a veteran of the marine corps reserves has a service-related health condition you should immediately refer her to the local va facility for health care the correct answer is a National Guard and Reservists have comprised half of all personnel deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. Question number three. The VA military health history pocket card for health professions, trainees, and clinicians suggests asking all of the following general questions except A. When and where did you, or do you serve, and in what branch? B. What type of work did you do or currently do while in service? C. Do you have tattoos? Have you ever injected or snorted drugs such as heroin, cocaine, or methamphetamine? And D. Did you have any illnesses or injuries while in service? The correct answer is C. Do you have tattoos? Have you ever injected or snorted drugs such as heroin, cocaine, or methamphetamine? Next, unique needs of reservists and National Guard members. All five branches of the military have reserved components and the Army and Air Force both have Guard components. Reserve units are the part of the Federal Armed Forces and thus are under presidential command, whereas Guard units are organized at the state level and can be called into service by governors in response to such things as natural disasters or civil unrest. Reservist and National Guard personnel are part-time military who maintain their civilian jobs and generally fulfill their service commitment one weekend per month and two weeks per year. Guard personnel are subject to the additional stress of being called to service with little notice in times of crisis, sometimes even when their own homes and families are impacted by the disaster. Notably, Reservists and National Guard service members have represented a large portion of deployed forces for the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, yet they are not eligible for the same medical services before and after release from active duty. Reserve and National Guard personnel who are deployed overseas for combat face unique challenges when they return home. Typically, when National Guard and reservists return to the U.S. and are discharged from active service, they are scattered across a state without access to mutual support systems. The isolation and disbursement of family is also a problem. Unlike active duty families who have well-developed support system in the military community, Families of National Guard members and Reservists remain isolated from one another and lack the support and resources a military community provides while their service member is deployed. Not surprisingly, service members return home to spouses and children who may feel abandoned, unsupported, and unaware of the challenges faced by the service member, further adding to stress of all family members. Access to health care may also be a problem for National Guard and reservists after discharge from active duty. Eligibility for VA health care requires completion of active duty service by a federal order. Those who served on active duty in a theater of combat operations after November 11, 1998, and who were discharged under other dishonorable conditions are eligible for free VA health care benefits up to five years from their date of discharge or release. Even so, many National Guard and Reserve Component veterans return to their homes in rural areas remote from established VA facilities and often isolated from the support of their military colleagues, making it especially important for community providers to screen for military service and know how to conduct military health history. Should a potentially service-connected health condition be identified by the provider within that five-year window and with the veteran's approval, he or she may be referred to the VA health system for assessment and follow-up care. The local veteran service officer can help initiate the referral. On to screening for military service. Better understanding the health needs of veterans means screening for military service as part of the health history and documenting the results in the electronic health records. One question. Have you or a loved one ever served in the military? Should be asked of every patient. If the answer to this question is no, the military health history is complete. If the answer is yes, a more detailed military health history is necessary. Several resources exist to help clinicians obtain a military health history. The Veterans Health Administration produces and regularly updates a military health history pocket card for health professionals, trainees, and clinicians. There will be a link on gumboeducation.com forward slash soldier for this information. This card includes three general questions and several follow-up questions about military experience once the patient responds affirmatively to the initial question. It also includes information on a variety of other topics as well as common exposures related to era of service. Asking veterans about their exposure concerns is an important part of their military health history. Exposure could be chemical, such as exposure to Agent Orange in Vietnam, Biological, such as infection to leishmaniasis during the Gulf War. psychological, such as post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. Or physical, such as blast injuries or limb loss in Iraq or Afghanistan. Questioning veterans about their exposures, including what, where, when, and how long, is essential. More detail on exposure is provided on the VA pocket card. The Association of American Medical Colleges adopted the VA's pocket card for its Ask, Document, Care, Critical Questions for Military Health History Information. There will be a link also to this document on gumboeducation.com forward slash soldier. In addition to the general questions on the VA pocket card, the Association of American Medical Colleges suggests asking patients about the effects of their military experience on their physical and mental health, family, work, or other aspects of life, and whether or not they are receiving any VA health care or benefits. No matter what resource is used, the goal is to better understand the unique experiences of veterans to better identify and manage their health concerns. Ultimately, the clinician has the responsibility to ensure that all patients are screened for military service and that follow-up military health history questions are asked and recorded for those who screen positive. Finding ways to make practices military-friendly, for example, by displaying an American flag on the door or hanging a sign in the waiting room that tells service members and veterans their service is valued, shows veterans you honor their service and sacrifice and may make them more comfortable talking about their experiences. Time for more questions. Question number four. Suicide is the second leading cause of death in all veterans. A, true, B, false. The correct answer is A. True. Question number five Which of the following is not a common characteristic of PTSD? A. Intrusive memories of the experience. B. Isolation from others. C. Irritable or aggressive behavior. Or D. Loss of memory. The correct answer is d loss of memory question number six which of the following has been termed the signature wound of wars in iraq and afghanistan a ptsd b tbi or traumatic brain injury c moral injury or d military sex trauma The correct answer is B, TBI or traumatic brain injury. Question number seven, primary care clinicians wanting to learn more about caring for veterans in their practices would benefit most from which of the following resources? A, VA community provider toolkit. B, local veterans service officer. C, SAMHSA or D, PTSD Consultation Program. The correct answer is A, VA Community Provider Kit. Next, Common Mental and Behavioral Health Issues of Veterans. Veterans who have experienced combat may suffer from both visible and invisible wounds of war. Most challenging, oftentimes, are the invisible wounds that place veterans at increased risk for long-term emotional and psychiatric symptoms that may persist throughout their lives. Moral injuries involving distress over violating core moral boundaries and accompanied by feelings of guilt and shame often occur concurrently with PTSD and may increase the risk of suicide in veterans. Though not visible, such injuries can be as damaging or disabling to the veteran as are the wounds of projectile or explosions, yet that same combat-ready can-do attitude that is so common in the military may make veterans reluctant to disclose their mental health issues. It is essential for community clinicians to screen for and identify these issues and have the knowledge and skills to care for their veteran patients or provide appropriate referrals for treatment. One of the most important ways to reduce psychologic suffering in any healthcare setting is through the use of measurement-based care. The quantification of mental health symptoms is the best way to accurately assess their magnitude And in conjunction with evidence-based guidelines, the disorder can be treated systematically so that recovery occurs as soon as possible. Several screening tools are introduced that will allow clinicians to screen for mental and behavioral health disorders, as well as assess the effectiveness of ongoing treatment. Depression and suicide. Depression among veterans is common, and is often linked to other conditions, including chronic pain, PTSD, and anxiety, further increasing the risk for suicide. The VA estimates that one-third of veterans visiting primary care clinics have some symptoms of depression. 20% have serious symptoms requiring further evaluation for major depression, and 10% to 12% have major depression, requiring treatment with psychotherapy and antidepressants. A highly useful instrument for identifying depression is the nine-item Personal Health Questionnaire, PHQ-9. This screening tool identifies mild to severe depression and is reliable and valid for detecting major depressive disorder. There will be a link on gumboeducation.com forward slash soldier for this form. Additionally, the PHQ-9 helps to assess overall functioning such as appetite and sleep and can be used over time to detect changes in responses to treatment. Importantly, the PHQ-9 also assesses for suicide, which is now the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. Suicide prevention is the highest priority for the VA, and rightly so, because it is the second leading cause of death for all veterans. Post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. Many traumatic events occur during military service, and not all are combat-related. PTSD may develop when there is an exposure to traumatic events, such as combat, natural disasters, accidents, assaults, or witnessing death. While feeling upset or having negative thoughts about such events is normal, sleep disturbance, nightmares, and intrusive memories may persist for months or years. Veterans may make efforts to avoid these memories or refuse to talk about traumatic events. Consequently, veterans with PTSD can have extensive functional losses such that employment, marriages, and parenting are all impaired. An important screening tool for PTSD symptoms in veterans is the short-form PCL-5, the PTSD Checklist for a Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition. This four-item self-report instrument is in alignment with the DSM-5 major criteria for PTSD, and while not the equivalent of the clinical diagnostic interview, it certainly helps both the clinician and patient understand the veteran's current PTSD symptoms. Such symptoms often include 1. Avoidance of reminders of the trauma. 2. Intrusive memories of the experience. 3. Irritable or aggressive behavior, and four, isolation from others. There are effective treatments for PTSD, including therapy and medications. The VA and Department of Defense Comprehensive Guidelines for the Treatment of PTSD offers an overview of treatments, including medications, individual and group psychotherapy, as well as integrated and complementary therapies. Further, the VA offers a PTSD consultation program to health care providers who treat veterans with PTSD in the community or in the VA. Interested clinicians can contact the program by email ptsdconsult at va.gov or telephone 866-948-7880 to request a free telephone consultation. This information can be found at gumboeducation.com forward slash soldier. Evidence continues to mount for psychotherapy interventions for veterans with PTSD. Cognitive processing therapy, prolonged exposure therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, for PTSD, and present-centered therapy are all effective treatments. Their commonalities involve restructuring maladaptive cognitions related to traumatic events. Psychotropic medications are also helpful in treatment of PTSD and are most effective combined with therapy. Sertraline and paroxetine are approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for PTSD treatment. Benzodiazepines are not recommended. Traumatic Brain Injury Traumatic Brain Injury, or TBI, is a brain injury that military service members may experience as a result of a training or combat injury. Also referred to as a concussion or a closed head injury, TBI has been called the signature wound of wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, with estimates as high as 22% of all combat casualties involving TBI. TBI among veterans may range from mild to severe, with injuries characterized as focal or diffuse. TBIs among veterans are caused by blast injuries, direct impact, and rapid acceleration or deceleration sustained in combat or training. While any head injury is intricate, these injuries may be particularly complex. Veterans who are injured in enclosed spaces, such as an armored vehicle, may experience multiple blast reflections. If a blast-related mild TBI injury occurs, accompanying problems with head, neck, or back pain, or a combination of these may emerge. It is vitally important for primary care providers to complete a veteran-centric military health history because the potential for a TBI during training or deployment is high. TBI can mimic a variety of conditions. The three-item brief traumatic brain injury screen can help providers identify the nature of the head injury, symptoms at the time of the injury, and current symptoms. Early indicators of mild TBI are often related to physical and vestibular symptoms, for example, headache, tinnitus, or tinnitus, blurred vision, or light-slash-sound sensitivity. Cognitive symptoms like poor concentration, reduced ability to make judgments, and slow cognitive processing, and mental distress such as depressive or anxious symptoms, irritability, or apathy. There may also be loss of memory before or after the head injury. In many, symptoms resolve within the first week after the injury. In a smaller subset of veterans, symptoms persist and some develop depression, anxiety, or substance use disorders, as well as pain syndromes. Further, TBI frequently coexists with PTSD. In addition to pharmacotherapy and physical therapy for pain, cognitive rehabilitation therapy involves strategy to restore function impaired by the TBI or to compensate for lost function. Such training helps to strengthen working memory, concentration, and visual-spatial skills. In addition to helping those with mild TBI, cognitive rehabilitation therapy has also shown effectiveness for those with moderate to more severe TBI. Special Issues for Women Veterans. Primary care clinicians must also increase their awareness of the multiple adversities that many women veterans face Experiences of trauma are associated with higher rates of suicide and attempts. Women veterans are known to have higher rates of adverse childhood experiences compared with civilians. In addition to the usual injuries associated with combat, women veterans often carry the burden associated with military sexual trauma, which occurs at a rate of as high as 38%. Military sexual trauma is a particularly horrific form of trauma and these wounds require special care. Women veterans are also at greater risk for intimate partner violence, 34%, than their non-veteran counterparts, 24%. These cumulative traumas contribute to a disproportionately high rate of suicide for women veterans, a rate that has increased nearly 50% since 2005 and is 2.2 times higher than for civilian women. For women who have access, engagement in care, in VA settings has emerged as a protective factor, likely related to the trauma-informed approach. Women veterans engaged in VA care are significantly less likely to die by suicide. Substance use disorders. Approximately one in four Americans have a non-tobacco substance dependence. One in 10 deaths among working-age Americans is related to excess alcohol use. Veterans have a higher prevalence of both alcohol use disorder and tobacco use disorder compared with non-veterans, although they do not appear to be at greater risk for abuse of substances, including opioids, sedatives, and cannabis. Veterans also have a significantly higher rate of receiving treatment, such as self-help individual treatment with a professional and outpatient, even though most do not perceive themselves as needing it. The VA and Department of Defense maintain comprehensive evidence-based guidelines for the management of substance use disorders. This clinical practice guideline offers an algorithm for important aspects of treatment, including annual screening for alcohol use disorder, using the three-item Audit C, Alcohol Use Disorder Identification Test Consumption, or the Single-Item Alcohol Screening Questionnaire. These will be found at gumboeducation.com forward slash Information about brief alcohol interventions and determination for type of treatment referral, pharmacotherapy for alcohol or other substance disorders, and psychosocial interventions, including CBT for substance use disorders, motivational enhancement therapy, and involvement in 12-step-based mutual help programs are also included in the guidelines. The VA and Department of Defense guidelines for treatment are regularly reviewed, and updated based on the latest evidence. These guidelines and the Department of Veterans Affairs website are useful sources of clinical support for community providers managing mental health and substance use disorders in veterans outside the VA. These will be found at gumboeducation.com forward slash soldier. On to the last set of questions. Question number 8. Measurement-based care is important because it can help the clinician a. Decide which pharmacotherapeutics should be prescribed b. Screen for mental and behavioral health disorders and document changes in psychiatric symptoms across visits c. Determine which patients should be referred to the VA health care system or d. Decide if physical therapy is needed to help resolve physical complaints. The correct answer is B. Screen for mental and behavioral health disorders and document changes in psychiatric symptoms across visits. Question number nine, veterans may have had exposure during their military service that impact their health, including pollution, infectious diseases, blast injuries, and psychological trauma. A, true, B, false. The correct answer is A, true. Number 10, the final question. Which of the following is a false statement? A. Military sexual trauma, or MST, is experienced by as many as 38% of women in the military. B. Women veterans have a much higher rate of suicide than non-veteran women. C. Women currently comprise 25% of the veteran population and the percentage is growing. D. Women veterans engaged in VA health care are less likely to die from suicide than those not enrolled in VA health care. The correct answer is C. Women currently comprise 25% of the military population and the percentage is growing. On to Conclusions. Most veterans receive their health care in community-based practices by providers who are not well-versed in military culture or in screening for military service. This places veteran patients at risk for health issues that may be undiagnosed, misdiagnosed, or managed inappropriately. It is important for non-VA ambulatory care clinicians to screen every patient for military service and ask important follow-up questions For those who screen positive, further educating yourself and your staff about military culture, competency, and the unique experiences of veterans is key to providing quality evidence-based care. Finally, recognizing when veteran patients require more or different services than you can provide and referring them appropriately for needed care and counseling is essential. Okay, that's it. To earn your CEUs for this podcast, go to the American Association for Nurse Practitioners website or the Journal for Nurse Practitioners. Find the article, take the test, and earn your CEUs. This concludes this Numble Education presentation. Until next time.